Speaking to him, then answered the horseman, Gerenian Nestor, Certainly, child, the whole tale I will tell you fully and truly. You can imagine yourself, in fact, how this would have happened, if yet living Aegisthus had been found there in the halls when homeward from Troy came Atreus' son, light-haired Menelaus, then no burial mound would have been piled up when he perished. Rather, the dogs and the birds would have eaten him up as he lay far out on the flatland away from the city, nor would the Achaean women have wept over him. So huge was the deed he had plotted. For as we sat in the siege and accomplished many a contest, he, meanwhile, at his ease in the heart of horse-nourishing Argos, kept on trying to charm Agamemnon's wife with his speeches. She would at first not give her consent to the scandalous action, glorious Clytemnestra, for she used excellent judgment. There was a singer with her, moreover, whom Atreus' son, when leaving for Troy, had strongly enjoined to watch over his bedmate. But when at last the decree of the gods entangled and tamed her, then having taken the singer away to a desolate island, there as a victim and prey for the birds, I just thus forsook him. Then he took her, desired and desiring, away to his own house. Many a thigh bone then he burnt on the gods' holy altars, many a glorious gift hung up, both of gold and of fabric having achieved a huge deed that at heart he had never expected. For at the time on the journey from Troy we were sailing together, Atreus' son and myself, each holding the other in friendship. But when at last we reached holy Sunion, headland of Athens, Phoebus Apollo, attacking the steersman of Lord Menelaus, killed him, visiting him with his mild and benevolent missiles. While as a ship ran forward, he held his hands on the tiller. Frontis, the son of Onator, surpassing the nations of men in steering a ship on her course, whenever the storm winds were blasting. There Menelaus was held, though eager to get on his journey, so he could bury his comrade and celebrate funeral honors. But when at last, as he went on the wine-dark sea in the hollow ships and was running ahead, he reached the precipitous mountain jutting at Malia, hateful the way wide-thundering Zeus then fashioned for him, for he poured out blasts of the whistling storm-winds, waves, too, swollen so monstrously huge as to equal the mountains. There, separating the galleys to Crete, he drove one division, where the Cydonians live, by the streams of the river Yardanos. There is a smooth stone cliff, a precipitous crag in the sea brine, farthest of Gorton's domains, in the seaway misty and murky, where on the left-hand headland the south wind pushes a huge wave Phaistosward, but a small rock keeps the huge wave from advancing. There did the galleys arrive, and the men just barely avoided ruin, but billowing surf quite shattered the ships as it drove them onto the reefs. In the meantime, currents of wind and of water carried the other five blue-proud galleys and took them to Egypt. While he was there, much gold he collected and many provisions, roaming about with his ships among people of alien language.
Meanwhile, at home, Aegisthus devised these odious actions. Then seven years he ruled in Mycenae, the gold-rich city, having killed Atreus' son, with the people subjected beneath him. Then in the eighth year, noble Orestes, returning from Athens, came as an evil upon him, and killed that father-destroyer, subtle and scheming Aegisthus, who killed his glorious father. When he had killed him, he ordered the Argives a funeral banquet, both for his odious mother and for unmanly Aegisthus. That same day to him came the great crier of war, Menelaus, bringing his treasures as mighty a load as the galleys could carry. You too, friend, do not wander a long time far from your palace, leaving behind your possessions, and such men there in the household, so overbearing as those, lest they be dividing and eating everything you possess, so you will have fruitlessly journeyed. Nevertheless, I urge and exhort you to see Menelaus. Pay him a visit, for he has returned from abroad just lately, having departed from men whence no one would hope in his spirit ever to come, who had once been driven astray by the storm winds into a sea so vast, not even the birds in their passage come back within the same year, so enormous it is, and so fearful. But now go to that country, along with your ship and your comrades. If by land you would go, this chariot here and these horses I will provide, and my sons to accompany you as your escorts into divine Lacedaemon, where dwells light-haired Menelaus. You go pray him yourself, that he tell you the truth of the matter. No false tale will he tell you, for he is remarkably thoughtful. So did he say, and the sun went down, and a dusk came upon them. Then spoke also among them the goddess, bright-eyed Athena, Old man, you have informed us of these things fitly and fully, but come, cut up the tongues of the victims, and mingle the sweet wine. So having poured out wine to Poseidon, as well as the other deathless gods, we may think about sleep, for the hour is upon us. Now already the light goes under the dark. It is seemly not to be seated too long at the feast of the gods, but to go home. So said the daughter of Zeus. They listened to her as she said it. Heralds at once poured over their hands clean water for washing. Young men filled to the brim great wine bowls ready for drinking, then poured wine into all of the cups to begin the observance. Throwing the tongues on the fire, they stood up and poured libations. When they had made libations and drunk whatever their hearts wished, then did Athena at last, and Telemachus, godlike in stature, both make ready to go back down to the hollow galley. Nestor detained them there and addressed them words of remonstrance. Now may Zeus and the rest of the gods undying forfend that you should depart from my palace to go back down to the swift ship, as from a man so lacking in clothes, so poverty-stricken, that in his house he has no blankets and rugs in abundance, so neither he himself nor his visitors slumber in comfort. No, for I have an abundance of rugs and of beautiful blankets. Never, I hope, will a child of that man, the dear son of Odysseus, lie down to sleep on the deck of a ship while I am alive yet. 
nor thereafter, if here in these halls my children are staying, offering welcome to visiting friends who come to my palace. Speaking to him made answer, the goddess, bright-eyed Athena, Well, you have spoken of these things, dear old man. It is surely right that Telemachus heed you, for that indeed is much better. But now he will accompany you, so that here in your palace he may enjoy his sleep. To the black ship I will return now, so as to raise his comrades' courage and tell them of all this. For among them there is only myself who can claim to be older. Younger the other men are, who accompany him out of friendship, all of a similar age, great-hearted Telemachus comrades. There I will take my rest by the hollow and dark-hued galley. Now, then early at dawn, I will start on the way to the great-souled Calcanes. There is a debt they owe me, and it is not recent, nor is it little. But since this man has arrived at your palace, send him ahead with your son and a chariot. Furnish him horses, which are the nimblest in running, as well as the noblest in power.' 